Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. This is Terrence Wilson, lead pastor of Cool Church. And we're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we want you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message. Who has been here every week so far for the Amen series? Let me see. Okay, I like that. I like that. Amen is the theme of this year. I'm telling you, y'all better get here early next week. You see, it's all—it's already packed. Uh, we're gonna have to try to figure out some kind of overflow situation for next week. But come, we ain't turning nobody away in Jesus' name. Who has a Bible? Let me see. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. I like big Bibles, and like, oh, that I, I know you using that Bible. That Bible got a leather case on it. I know you got a Bible. That's good. Oh, that pink one back. That's bright. You—you'll never lose your Bible. I like that. Come on, praise God. I like big Bibles, and I can. Who has a phone? Hold it up. All right, put it down. I'm just kidding. You can't do nothing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We can have fun in church. Amen? If you don't have a Bible, it'll come up on the big Bible behind me. Praise God. And um, if you're online or in your, you're in the house, you can use the Cool Church app. Um, that is another way to see the Bible right on there. And every note that I'm going to preach from is in uh, the app. If you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. That's our theme verse for the year. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 and then put your finger on revelations look at your neighbor say ooh look at your other neighbor the one you don't like so much because you picked them second and say ah just kidding Revelation. People get scared when you don't turn around. Like, man, Pastor, I invited my friend to church, and I never, I didn't thought they'd come. No, was gonna come, and you, they showed up, and you going straight to Revelation? Like, Lord, yeah, we going there today. It's either we gonna preach all of the Bible or none of it. Amen. It's all God's word. Amen. Revelations chapter three, verse fourteen. So, can for the first verse, we'll all read it together. For the second word, uh, verse, I'm gonna read it to you. Is that okay? All right, so 2 Corinthians, since this is our verse for the year, let's all read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 20. Shout out to all the online hosts and the online fam. Y'all can read this together with me. Here we go. One, two, three. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And the church said? Love that. We gonna keep. I just love reading that verse. Now turn to Revelation. If you don't know where that is, that's okay. I ain't here to shame you. Just turn to the back of your Bible. It's the last book, so you can't miss it. And then turn to chapter three, verse fourteen, and it reads something like this: To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write: These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler. Of God's creation. If you knew how powerful that was, you would throw something at somebody. <laughs> Don't do that. That could be a lawsuit. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness and ruler of God's creation. And all the church said, if you're taking notes in this third and final part of this Amen series, I've been I've literally entitled it this. The Amen. The Amen. Let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you for this day. For this is the day that you've made, God. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God, I thank you that before the earth began to spin on this axis, you knew each and every human that was going to be in this place and watching online today. God, I thank you right now that I would lie down as you rise up. Don't let these words be my own, but let them come directly from your throne room of grace. God, I pray you would open hearts, minds, and ears to be open and receptive to a word that will always and only be about Jesus. And God, I pray for the one that needs to hear this word the most, the one that may be far from you, the one that may feel guilt and, and shame from sin, the one that feels like they just can't be close to you because of what they've done. I want them to understand and hear that you love them, not because of what they've done, but because of who they are, who you made them to be. And you're the God that's in the business of redemption. God, I thank you. And I praise you that the person that needs this message is going to hear this message and receive this message. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's children said, if you believe that, take about five seconds and give God a shout of praise. Come on. This is a, 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 a bit of a different type of message that I'm going to give you today. Because, y'all, I'm a preacher, and I like to preach. So if I say something good, I love it when people say, Amen. I like that. I like response. And I'm not telling you not to respond to me today. I'm just telling you this, less, this message is going to be less preachy and more teachy. You say, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? It's simple. An old preacher said it like this. Teaching is telling it. Preaching is yelling it. So I'm going to do a lot less yelling today because I don't want the, the amplification of my voice to make you miss out on the details that are in God's word. Now, I'm a preacher. I can't help it. Sometimes I might get a little out of control. I'm going to rein it back in. But I'm just, I, I want you to understand if it sounds different, if it feels more like a teaching today, that's the avenue that I'm going down because I think this word amen is a word that we truly don't understand the power behind. We've said it a lot, but the reason that we've had this series is to break down the meaning of it so we understand that there is a certain power that we have when we say it. And the church said, y'all mind me teaching today? Is that okay? So 2024, we've said this, this is our year of amen. And amen means what? Anybody remember? So be it. I love that. It's God's yes and our yes coming together in agreement to do God's will in order for God to keep his promise. And the church said, now I love promises. Is there anybody out there you've ever made a promise? Y'all ever made a promise? Yeah, everybody, everybody's made a promise at some point, right? Like, like we, we all make promises. Like, I, I'm a pastor, so I do weddings all the time. And there's a promise that is made between two humans when they take their vows. And husbands and wives have promised to love and honor and obey and cherish in sickness and in health for better, for worse, for richer or for poorer, as long as they both shall live. I love that promise. Because I, this year, would have been married to my beautiful wife for 17 years. We have kept the promise that we made to one another. But you know, there's sometimes in a marriage, and for the non-married folks, you'll, you'll see this eventually when you, when you get there. How many of y'all believe in that? Your mate is on the way. Okay, all right. Okay, some of y'all ain't believing that. You have not because you asked not. Okay, that's cool. You know, hey, some, some people call to be the Apostle Paul. I know I was not called to be the Apostle Paul. Okay, anyways, read your Bible. You know what that means later. Now, 
I, I love my wife. And like this week, I saw the promise of our vows fulfilled on another level, man. Whew. Now, y'all, this is what you got to know about me. I know I seem like I got myself together. But without that woman, I'm a mess, y'all. She went on a trip. She went on a retreat uh, to go, you know, get filled up, you know, with her, with her sisters in Christ, man. It's for pastors and ladies in ministry. And I said, go, baby, go ahead, fill yourself up. You, you got to do those things. And, and she, she went and she left me <laughs> with our child. I'm a good dad. Don't get me wrong. But I don't act the same when my wife ain't around. I, I promise y'all, like, I'm not making this up. She got on a plane on Monday. As soon as I dropped her off, I saw feeling something in my throat. <laughs> like, I was good when she was there. As soon as that woman walked through the doors of the airport, I was like, why my throat itching? <laughs> I, and, and like, I ain't wanted to just be me. So I was like, Baba, I was, I was like, Baba, your throat itching? She's like, no, dad, it's just you. <laughs> I was like, nah, my throat itching. So, I, so we went through the thing. I got a bunch of medicine and all kinds of stuff. I was trying to take care of myself. Y'all, I was a mess. The minute that woman left me, y'all, I felt bad for my child. She's like, dad, we gonna eat. I'm like, man, let me see what Uber got. Like, I was so, like, I was so useless because, man, some sickness, some bug hit me, y'all. That thing had me down all week. Some of y'all ain't know. You, you, you saw me on prayer. You was like, I thought he was good. Nah, man, I was just faking. Okay. <laughs> I was holding it together for you. Yo, I was down so bad. And it's, it's funny, like, it's funny when men get sick and when women get sick. Women get sick, you ain't gonna know. They gonna still take care of the kids. They gonna do five jobs. They gonna go to the grocery store. They gonna cook the meal. They gonna do whatever they gotta do. Y'all y'all just strong. Y'all strong. Men... And fellas, listen, this the one time, like, y'all gonna be mad at me, but you know it's true. Man, we be turning into some punks when we get sick, man. Yo, it be the same dude. Hoo-hoo-hoo-rah, hoo-rah, hoo-hoo-hoo-rah. As soon as you get sick, he be like, <laughs> Yo, I, I was on my couch. By Wednesday, I was on my couch in a fetal position, in a hoodie wrapped up. <laughs> I was like, Dad, what's wrong with you? It's like, God, now I want one. I don't know. <sighs> I'm like shivering. <sighs> like, what is that noise? <sighs> like, men just get so weak when we sick. Like, we just forget how to do everything, man. Y'all, I was so thankful when I knew she was coming home on Thursday. And as she could tell you if I'm lying, this woman walked through the door. I was curled up on the couch in a hoodie, in a fetal position. And I was shivering like, Joanne kicked, boy, get up. What's wrong? Like she went, she, she went from wife to like church mama real quick. She's like, Baba, throw me the castor oil. Baba threw a bomb across the living room. Joanne caught it like Odell, one hand. She said, boy, get up, go to the room. Take your clothes. Yes, ma'am. Threw the whole bottle of castor oil on me. 
Let, get your butt in the bed. Wrap yourself up. She started pulling out ginger and turmeric and lemon and honey. Start boiling stuff. Then start pulling roots from the backyard. Start throwing them in a pot. Start boiling stuff. Took some Vicks. I slapped some. Because you know Island folk, they think Vicks is the cure for everything. I, Vicks could cure cancer. That girl just wrapped. Get your t- she snuggled me in that bed like a burrito, man. She had me wrapped. She get your butt in this bed. I was like, baby, can I have something to drink? That's your problem. You want cold stuff. Boy, you need to get some hot stuff. She went to the kitchen. She made the hot chicken soup. She got the broth out. She shoved the tea down my throat. I was all, Jesus. Y'all, that girl got me together. She brought me from death to a resurrected life. And I stand here before you today to say I was lost. Now why you found? I was blind, but now I see. When that woman makes a vow, when she makes a promise, she going to take care of my raggedy behind through sickness and in hell. Aren't you so thankful when somebody could keep a promise? Like, we all make promises, y'all. We promise our employer we're going to work a certain amount of hours. <laughs> it's like Def Comedy Jam up in here today. And you promise him, they promise you a certain amount of pay. Right? Kids promise to be good all year long. So that Santa will bring them something on Christmas. We, many of us, have promised ourselves at the beginning of this year, 2024, it's going to be the year where I get slim and trim. You made that promise on January 1st. It's January 21st. Some of y'all ain't seen the gym since January 2nd. Made a promise. Gym's packed on day one. They ain't not so packed on day 21. Here's the truth, though. Although we have all made a promise at some point or another, the worst feeling in the world is when a promise is broken. Man, I don't know about y'all. I could raise my hand. You know, I've had promises that were made to me that have been broken. And the truth of the matter is, I know too many people that live broken lives because of broken promises. There are people, maybe you walked in this room today and you got trust issues because somebody made a promise to you. I'll be with you forever. It's just me and you against the world and that same person is now nowhere to be found. People that said they're going to ride for you, those same people, they stabbed you in the back. It's people that promised to bless you and then when you went for your blessing, they acted like they didn't even know you. There's so many people that live broken lives and they don't trust 
anybody because somebody broke a promise that was made to them. And if I could say one thing to encourage that person, if they are in this room or watching online today, I just want you to know that life may have let you down because that's what life does. But I want you to know that there is a God in heaven that will never break a promise. The Bible says that he is not a man that he should lie. He's not a promise breaker. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. We serve the God that understands and knows that when he makes a promise, he gonna stand on business. He gonna do exactly what he says he was gonna do and he proves it time and time and time again in his word because we serve the God that promised Abraham. His descendants was gonna be as numerous as the stars in the sky. We serve the God that promised Joshua. He was gonna be with them wherever he went so he could be strong and courageous. He promised Daniel. He was going to deliver him from the lion's den. He promised Hezekiah he was going to give 15 more years of life. I don't know about you. I want God to extend my life. He promised Nehemiah success in rebuilding the wall around the city. He promised Zerubbabel that he was going to rebuild the temple through him and he was going to be his signet ring in which the promises of God were kept and he promised David that he was going to make him a king and he would always have a descendant on the throne and he doubles down on this by promising in his word in Psalms 89 34 he says no I will not break my covenant I will not take back a single word I said when God says it he ain't gonna take it back he's always gonna do what he said he's gonna do because our God has never broken a promise and our God never will you can put your trust in people if you want to people gonna always let you down people going to always fail you. People going to always not live up to your expectations but we serve the God that surpasses all of your expectations because he can do more than you can ask, imagine, or think if you believe it. Say amen. Now I said I wasn't going to preach. But I couldn't help it. So I'm going to get back to teaching. <laughs> See, when we say amen, it speaks to the fact that we are saying, so be it, to the promises. You're not just saying, so be it, to a prayer. No, I'm saying, so be it, to promises. But not just a promise from anybody. I'm saying, so be it, to a promise from God. So now let's look at this text, Revelations 13, excuse me, 3, 14. It's interesting because it is only one of two places I have personally found in the Bible where the word amen is used in a very unique way. And it, it, it's, it's used because it has something that goes before it. It says, the amen. It's a very interesting way to use that word because we're used to seeing that word as a punctuation, as finality, as something that ends the statement. But in this case, it almost sounds like a noun because it says the amen. It sounds different. There's another place in where this phrase the amen is used and it appears, but it's not as obvious. Like you won't just be able to read it straight out. You'd have to break down and understand the words and the origin of words so you know that that's what it was saying. And that place 
that we see it is in the book of Isaiah. So I always say this, to get the greatest revelation from God's word, you got to ask the greatest questions, right? Got to ask the right questions. So when I see that, and I haven't seen it any other place in the Bible except for two places, I'm like, God, if you put this in here in these two spots, it must be really important. I must, I must really need to focus in on this. So what, what, what does the amen mean? So I ask myself these two questions. The first is, why is the amen used in the book of Isaiah? Why? This is where we'll get to the teaching part. Do I have a minute to just kind of break down some scripture for you? Let me give you some context. Because you, you never, never take scripture without context because, you know, people have manipulated scripture throughout time to, to literally destroy humanity. There have been institutions built upon the wrong word from God. Stuff that he said that people have manipulated. Why? Because they took it out of... Book of Isaiah is a book of prophecies by the prophet Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets. And usually when God sent a prophet, it was to get the people back aligned to him. He wanted to correct them. He wanted to give them a word, tell them, hey, you need to shift what you are doing now because your future depends on it. And... In the book of Isaiah, uh, the, the theme is judgment and salvation. Judgment, say judgment, salvation. Judgment and salvation. That's the theme of the entire book. So if you read Isaiah, there's 60 plus chapters in it, but you can break it up into three different parts. The first part, the prophet Isaiah is trying to speak directly to God's people. At that time, that would have been the Israelites. He's speaking directly to God's people and the nation's of people that are not God's people, and he is correcting them. The first word that Isaiah gives them is to correct them. He's like, y'all, y'all have not been doing what I asked you to do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of y'all disobeying me. You out here making golden calves, you worshiping your own gods, you're doing all kinds of stuff. In other words, God's saying, get yourself together. I love it because before God corrects you, he gives you an opportunity to correct yourself. Like, we don't serve a, a, a God that just looks at you and is like, you're done. No, 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 no. Listen, some of y'all have no idea how many opportunities God has given you that you have wasted. And he sends the prophet to say, hey, this is a warning. Get yourself together before I have to get you together. It's like that look your mama used to give you in church. You know that, or that look when you in the store and you cutting up. A look is... Yep, I'm good. I'm straight. That's all I, it was the warning. And God's saying, man, y'all are, y'all are stiff necked people. That's the Old Testament way of saying stubborn. Y'all some stubborn people. But if you don't get yourself together, I'm going to kick you out of your land and you're going to be slaves to somebody else. Get yourself together. And all, the, and all of y'all that's not my people that ain't serving me, I will destroy you. I will remove you from the face of the earth. So you're getting these prophecies from the prophet Isaiah. Then the second part comes. The second part of prophecies are prophecies for the generations after the exile. What happens is God's people do not listen to the warnings from the prophet. They get kicked out of their homeland. They get overrun by the Babylonians. And this is what we hear stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar because he was a Babylonian king. We hear about Daniel and how he wouldn't eat from the king's table. This was the result of them not listening to the prophets. They get kicked out of their homeland. They get overrun and they have to end up serving other people. God made nations over them to lord over them because they did not listen. So the second part of the book speaks to the fact that, hey, you will get a punishment, but God 
will not keep his anger on you forever because he loves you. I think there's some people that think like they're going to be punished by God like forever. You going through stuff? Why is it always happening to me? Here's, here's the truth. There's some things that are happening in your life. They ain't got nothing to do with God. They got everything to do with the cause and effect that you have brought on your life. And just because God has forgiven you does not mean you will not reap what you sow. People think they're going to come down to the altar. God forgave me. Now when I get out there, everything's going to be like I did nothing. No. You go steal right now and get caught. You're going to jail. And you can accept Jesus in prison and he will forgive you. But you still going to have to do your time. That's how this thing works. There's cause and effect in life. I'm trying to think God's going to eradicate your punishment. It says he eradicates your sin, not your punishment. So anywho, this punishment happens, but God's like, hey, I just want you to know, I'm going to send the prophet Isaiah. It's not going to be like this forever. I promise you there will be an end to it. My grace will come back upon you. You're gonna get. You're gonna come out of this thing better than you did. So, I, hey, you had to. You had to do the do the time for the crime. But I promise you, it won't be like this forever. That's the second part of the book. Third part of the book is new and it's different because now he's not just speaking directly to his people about the consequences of their actions and the blessings. Now this message is for everybody because. The old guard is changing. When I say the old guard, I mean the old covenant. The covenant that was established before was by the law. He's like, there's a new covenant coming. And it's not going to be based on law. It's going to be based in the blood of the one that will come to save you all. Not just the children of God or God's people, but I'm doing this for all mankind. Y'all didn't want to receive me when I was just trying to like lean into y'all. Guess what? Now I'm sending a savior for everybody. The third part of Isaiah is all about the prophesied Messiah, the soon and coming king, and his name is? He says, I got, I got something. I want to do something new in the earth. And I can't do it an old way. I got to do it a new way. So I got to send something new. So what happens is you really see that theme of salvation and judgment in the third part of Isaiah because he's saying, I'm going to send this new way. If you accept this way, here's a bunch of blessings. If you don't accept this way, you're dooming yourself. So he's saying, I got a new way for everybody to get saved. You have to make a choice because I've given you free will. This is the third part, which brings me to the first place I want to show you where the amen is. It's Isaiah 65, 16. This is a promise that God makes in response to a prayer that Isaiah says. You see a series of prayers from Isaiah and responses from God. That just gives you the context of what this verse is really saying. So through this prophecy, now God makes a promise to the people that will choose to serve him. And he says in Isaiah 65, 16, he says, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, underline that. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Now, once again, I told you, it's not going to be obvious that it says the, um, the amen, but right now, you notice there was a phrase that was said twice in that passage, the God of truth. Those words, the God 
of truth are translated from two Hebrew words, Elohim, amen. Elohim, which means God, and amen. I love this. So, I love what J. Alec Mortar, he was a famous theologian back in the 1920s. He says those words actually mean Elohim, amen. It means the God of the amen. The God of the amen. Which means this is the God who says amen to all of his promises, affirming their reality and his trustworthiness to keep them. I love that these two words, Elohim, amen, means the God of the amen, because now amen does not sound like a punctuation. It sounds more like a title here, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting? Now, look at how the message version of the Bible says this exact same verse, Isaiah 65, 16. It says, then whoever prays a blessing in the land will use, watch this, my faithful name for the blessing. And whoever takes an oath in the land will use my faithful name for the oath. Because earlier troubles are gone and forgotten, banished far from sight. You notice that he says, my faithful name. Notice that instead of saying the God of truth, now he's saying my faithful name, which corresponds to what we talked about, the God of the amen. He's saying that we will use his name for a blessing and we will use his name for an oath. So amen switches from being an ending to a name, y'all. Oh, I pray somebody's catching it. Amen, in this context, speaks to a name that means truth, faithfulness, and an oath. Remember that. Truth, faithfulness, and an oath. This mirrors the context that we see when we finally see the phrase again in Revelations chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going to land right here. This is why you have to ask this next question. We understand why the amen is used in Isaiah because it's going from the punctuation at the end of a statement and it's turning it into a title and into a name. And if you don't understand that it's being used as a name that means truth, faithfulness, and an oath, you'll never understand what it means when you finally get to Revelations and read it. That's why we ask this question, why is the amen used in Revelations? Now, with the background context, we can understand it. And this is where it starts to get fun. Revelations 3.14 says, I'll read it again. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen. The faithful, didn't we hear that word already? And true, didn't we hear that word already? Witness the ruler of God's creation. These are the words of the amen. To truly understand the power of verse 14, you must read it in context. You can't just read verse 14. You got to read verse 14, 15, and 16. So now I'm going to read all three. Watch this. It says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the, amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How many of y'all heard that verse before? Be hot or cold. Because if you lukewarm, you heard the saints say that. I heard that. I heard them say that my entire life in church. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard that God does not want you to be lukewarm. He wants you to be hot or cold. But why is that an important context for verse 14? Let me explain. You notice who this is written to. This is written to the church in Laodicea. When you get to Revelations, it's written by John the Apostle. He writes this at the end of his life while he is exiled to the island of Patmos. And he gets a revelation of Jesus and a revelation of end times, which hence that's why the book's called Revelation, right? He gets these visions, but he also gets messages to send out to the seven prominent churches of the day. One of them being the church of Laodicea and the truth is, most of these churches get a bad uh, report. They get a message of correction. This is why Paul, in all the letters, most of all the letters of the New Testament, he's writing to correct false doctrine and craziness going on in the church. Y'all think the church in 2023 got problems? Trust me, we inherited that from our forefathers. Church been had problems. Why? Because church is made up of a bunch of imperfect people. If you're looking for a perfect church, you probably won't find it here either. And if you're looking for a perfect church, when you get there, you should leave because the minute you get there, it ain't going to be perfect. Because none of us are perfect. Go where God leads you, and if you see a problem, you make it better. Maybe he sent you there to make it better. So, a letter is written to a church in Laodicea along with seven other, six other churches. Laodicea will be one of the seven churches. And what they are is warnings about how they are operating. And Jesus is the one that is talking to each of these churches. And he's warning them because he knows the effect it's gonna have on us today. Just like the things we do today, they're gonna affect the church of tomorrow. So he writes to the church in Laodicea. He's like, man, y'all lukewarm. And I'm sick of it. He's like, be hot or cold. Why would he say that? Well, the government of Laodicea was interesting because Laodicea was, was a town that had a very poor water supply. Why? Because there was only one way for water to come into the city and one way for water to go out. And the, the, the water wasn't even the best water you can get, but it's what they had in order to keep the city going. How many of you know if you want to kill a city, the fastest way to do it is by cutting off its resources? So Laodicea already didn't have a good um, 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 stream uh, to, to, to draw from in order to be one of the most prominent cities. So what their spineless government would do is that anytime there were people that wanted to overrun Laodicea, you know what they would do? They would just cut off the water supply. They cut off the water supply because they knew if they cut the water, then the people would have to bend to their will. And instead of fighting back, the spineless government of Laodicea, they have become known that if an enemy stopped up their water route, then they would send out messengers to go and compromise with the enemy in order to allow their water source to open back up. They have become known as a city of compromise, which is interesting because not only was their water 
actually bad. Not only was their water actually lukewarm, they were just trying to be whatever they had to be so that no enemy would harm them. So in actuality, their character was just as lukewarm as their water. They were gutless. They had no, no spine, no intestinal fortitude. So what they did, instead of fight the enemy, they compromised and reasoned with the enemy. They never took a stand and say, nah, I'm standing on my business. I'm hot. No, I'm standing on my business. I'm going to be cold. No. You know what they did when the enemy came? Hey, how can we work this out? How can we compromise? How can we make a bargain? I think that might be a message for some people in this room. God wants you to stand on business about something, but you've been making deals with the enemy. God ain't looking for some spineless, gutless people that lack some courage. God is looking for people that say, when the enemy comes out, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand strong. The problem with the people of Laodicea is that this did not just affect their government. The reason that the church got the letter is because the church will back up whatever the government did. The church was just as spineless, y'all, as the government. So they get this letter saying, hey, what's, what's wrong with y'all? As a matter of fact, the name Laodicea means rule of the people. So... This was a church that Jesus had to reckon with because they represented the church that was run by majority rule instead of by God. This was the church that we see sometimes in 2023, the church of compromise. This is an interesting place because his name designates, and Joseph, Joseph Cease writes this, theologian from 1823, it says, this was a church of mob rule, a democratic church in which everything is swayed and decided by popular opinion. It's important because if we're not careful in 2023 church, popular opinion can take precedence over the truth. And just because something is popular, doesn't make it right. I wish there was somebody that heard me today. It's a lot of popular things out there that people jumping on the bandwagon about, but they get mad when God's people want to stand on business and say something about it. The church gets attacked because we ain't just going with what everybody else is going with. Like, y'all, do you know how many things in, in history have been popular, but they weren't right? Like, lead paint was popular. Wasn't right. How many people got sick from that? Like, segregation was popular. Definitely wasn't right. Racism at one time in this country was very popular. And in some circles still is. Doesn't make it right. Y'all, jerry curls were popular. <laughs> Got to lighten the mood a little bit. We know they wasn't right. Yeah, some of y'all in the 80s was letting your soul glow. It is so smooth, smooth. Just let it shine through, yeah. Just because it's popular. Y'all ain't know I can hit that note, though. 
Just because something is popular doesn't make it right. Ask yourself, church, how many things have become commonplace in society today that were not okay a few years ago? Not because they're right, but only because they're popular. And the church of God sitting back here silent about it. We ain't saying nothing because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. Looks a lot like a lukewarm church to me. See, as believers, we must never, ever, y'all, subscribe to our truth instead of God's truth because it's popular. Unlike the church of Laodicea, we must be willing to take a stand. And I'm not worried about if our stand is popular or not because I know I stand on the truth of God's word. Why do I know that? Because it is the truth that will set me free. I'd rather stand on the truth than stand on the popular lie because that has no Bible backing and God does not stand behind that but God will always stand behind you beside you, around you and support you when you stand for his word. This is the God that we serve. So why does Re Revelation 3.14 write to the church of Laodicea to say, now let's get to it. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Why? Because Jesus, these are his words and he himself is calling himself the amen why because he is the personification y'all of the word amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of all creation and in this context as he personifies it he's trying to let you understand that this word means true it means faithful it means certain it means an oath Jesus is letting this old lame church know in Laodicea I am the truth I am faithful I am certain so how can you represent me properly if you are lukewarm and so easily swayed you bring in disrespect to my name by calling yourself a church because you lukewarm and I'm telling you I'm certain I'm telling you I'm faithful I'm telling you I'm truthful and I'm letting you know that just in my name. And what the scripture is clearly trying to tell us is that society does not need a church that bends to the will of the people. It needs a church that will bend to the will of God because it is only by the truth that you will be set free. And the truth has a name. He is the amen. His name is Jesus. He is the truth that will set you free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus is the truth. So Jesus, as the amen, is the guarantee. And his church should stand faithfully and be able to walk in the truth. Give me some keys, brother, so this sounds spiritual as I take it home. <laughs> I love what William Barclay says. Famous theologian in 1907 says, Jesus, I love this. Should never think about amen the same. Because when you think about amen, you should think about Jesus. Because William Barclay says, Jesus is the personification and the affirmation of the truth of God. 
the personification and the affirmation. So Jesus, as the amen, guarantees the truth of God's promises to us because of an oath made by God through him for us. Watch this. Hebrews 7 confirms this. I'm not just going to tell you something and not give you the scripture to back it up because God makes an oath not just to change his mind. He says, he says I'm not going to change my mind concerning my children and I'm going to make this oath and I'm going I'm to I'm I'm stamp it with the amen of Jesus so that you understand that I'm not going to change my mind about it. Watch this. He's guaranteeing an oath, a promise through Jesus. Hebrews 7, 17 through 28. Watch this. It says, for it is declared, you are priests forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the only person other than Jesus that was a priest and a king. Melchizedek has no lineage. If you look in the Bible, you won't see a genealogy for him. You won't know where he comes from. Unlike the other priests that come from the line of Aaron, who was Moses' brother, the, tri the Levite tribe come through him and all the priests, one after the other, they lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. Not so about Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from, so much so that theologians believe he is a type and shadow of Jesus because he was a priest and king. Those other people I talked about, they were only priests, but he was a priest and king in the Old Testament, showing us a picture of, of what Jesus was going to be for us. And the church said... Watch this, verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. What regulation was that? For the law made nothing perfect. So God's like, yeah, we done with that. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without what? He said, hey, I'm about to stand on my business with this. I ain't playing no games with this. Others became priests without any oath. But he, he is Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, underline this. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. I'm going to come back to it. I promise. Watch this. It says, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. I told you, priests are born and they die. They're born and they die. But because Jesus lives forever, he has permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Right now, you might feel ashamed. You might feel guilty. Do you know that Jesus sits on the right hand of his father all day praying for you? Interceding for you? He says, such a great high priest who truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above all the heavens, unlike the other high priests who were just humans by the way I, I, I love this he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day the priest had to go they had to kill sacrifices and pray to atone for the people not Jesus they have to go and atone first for their own sins and then the sins of the people but he sacrificed for their sin once and for all when he offered himself need to keep going back to make sacrifices I am the sacrifice for the law appoints as a high priest men in all their weakness 
but the oath, which is Jesus, which came after the law, appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Y'all, if that ain't a picture of the grace of God, watch this. I'm going to close on this. Remember I said we're going back to verse 22? Verse 22 said, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. The guarantor. That word guarantor, y'all, in other versions, it, it says Jesus has become surety. Like a surety, right? That word surety is broken down from an ancient Greek word called egos. Egos, right? You know what it means? Egos means describe someone who gave security, who co-signed a loan to guarantee a payment or put up bail for a prisoner. So Jesus himself is the guarantee of the better covenant because when I was locked up, when I was lost in my sins, when I was behind the bars of my guilt and shame, Jesus said, set him free because I'm going to make a payment and there'll never have to be one more payment that's ever made again. I need somebody to know that Jesus, the amen, is the only one we can always count on because he was willing to pay the debt to guarantee the promise of salvation once and for all. So when you believe something, you say amen because when you say amen, you are actually saying, Jesus, the oath is faithful. He is certain. He is true. And he guarantees the promise of eternal life through his payment on the cross once and for all. My dad has been erased when I couldn't pay it, when I didn't know what to do, when my guilt and shame had held me down. Jesus, the amen, paid a price once and for all that I could never pay for myself. If you believe it, say amen. When you say amen, you are saying, Jesus. I say amen because even when I say amen at the end of the prayer, I need to give the amen credit for the price he paid. Oh my God. I pray that you don't play with this word because it should make you remember the price that was paid for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.